Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonjour, Pete. Anyone who treats me like a dying man will run the risk of pissing me off. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 109, Et in Arcadia, Ego, part one comes to you now via homicidal fungus and news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit pete particularly as we all kind of globally grapple with coronavirus glad to be taking some time here to to talk about lighter things star trek you know luckily this is not an episode that talks about you know picard may die we all may die but pete what's been going on in your neck of the woods regarding star trek and twitter I ran a poll on Twitter. Uh, who would find the hashtag COVID-19 hashtag coronavirus cure first? Uh, and the options were Dr. McCoy, Dr. Crusher, Dr. Bashir, or the doctor, the hologram from uh, Voyager. And uh, taking 40% of the vote with 157 votes was uh, the doctor. Uh, followed by Dr. Bashir with 22%. Coming in third, Dr. McCoy with 20%. And last, 18%, Dr. Crusher. There were some people who had replied. A uh, number of tweets here that perhaps Dr. Phlox might have uh, been able to engineer a cure, getting some uh, droppings from a Pytherian bat, but uh, we have to consider that Twitter only allows four options for a poll. The poll is still open for the next 11 hours and 41 minutes as of this recording right now. So we should be up on uh, fantasticgeek.com and available on Apple Podcast well before that. So get yourself over to, uh, to that and my poll and uh, sound off. In my neck of the woods for Star Trek stuff, Pete, it was a week ago when I went to the library, picked up uh, Last Best Hope, the Picard novel by Dr. Una McCormick. Uh, and then the next day, the library closed indefinitely. So I get to keep the book for a good chunk of time, uh, which means I have not been racing through it because after that, I have no more library books at home. But really, really enjoying it as a read. I definitely recommend it. You know, read it physically when you can. I'm sure it's available digitally as well. I, of course, can't be reading it through the eyes of somebody who does not already know these characters, including Rafi. For example, when Picard meets Rafi, I won't spoil anything, but it's it's this weird thing of, you know, you saw the movie before the book. Well, this is its own, uh, uh, this is its own unique story, of course, but Rafi only looks like Michelle Hurd in my head and things like that. But the amount of synergy is through the roof. And I don't mean that in some sort of like, oh man, they're giving, you know, they're giving direct references to this episode or that episode. But, you know, some background 12, 15 years ago on Rafi as a mother, Rafi as a wife, uh, Picard and the earnestness in which he's uh, given this task to, to undertake this humanitarian effort uh, in light of the upcoming uh, Romulan supernova and things like that. It just... The whole thing really, really meshes well, and it's been a ton of fun to have uh, new Star Trek on my on my night table. Well, one, something to keep you busy uh, during the quarantines. We all find ourselves 
in and staying home with the proper social distancing. And two, I know you had shared with me the outrageous number of uh, authors credited to that book. Yes, on the title page, I don't have it in front of me, but on the, t- on the title page, it's like, uh, you know, Star Trek Picard, Last Best Hope by Una McCormick, based upon Star Trek The Next Generation, created by Gene Roddenberry, and Star Trek Picard, created by uh, Pete. I, pro- I don't know if I could do all the four off the top of my head. I know we got Kirsten Beyer, we got Chabon. You asked me to give you who was on there, and I was right with the exception of giving uh, Sir Patrick a writer's credit when actually, of course, it was uh, Akiva Goldsman. There you go. So I've never turned to the title page of a book and seen six authors listed. Uh, and I've read many a Star Trek book. Maybe it's been there all along and I just missed out on the Gene Roddenberry credit. But holy cow, it just it was this interesting moment of, you know, this this baby has six parents. At least somebody wants to make sure that the title page shows that anybody who ever created a Star Trek or a Picard gets credit on the title page. But uh, Una McCormick's writing is better than I thought. And of all the Star Trek novels I've read, I could say this book is only secondary to uh, the tippity top of the Peter David ones. So that's high, high praise indeed. And you finished it already? Uh, no, about a third of the way through. I'm, okay. Like I said, wow, I'm taking it. it's already one of the top ones. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, look, could it could it take a turn? Sure. But she writes very, very well, um, which is not necessarily the case for... You know, I think, look, most of the Star Trek books late 80s, early 90s, it's, you know, let's jam a bunch of print on paper for pocketbooks and let's all make a bunch of money. She she is a, a talented writer. So, uh, yeah, she's capturing the voice of Picard well and all that. But Pete, what do you say we head on into a mission briefing for this episode? Objects rattle in Dr. Gerardi's quarters aboard the La Serena as she hides under a desk and Soji smiles, knowing she's ever closer to her home. The computer calls out that the chroniton field integrity is at 90% and holding as the ship exits the transwarp conduit in the Gullian system above the fourth planet. Raffi says scanners show no Romulan presence. Gerardi wants to know why they didn't go to Deep Space 12 but a change in plan necessitated they travel 25 light years in 15 minutes. And Soji tells them that they call her home planet Coupelius. Couple of takeaways from the scene thus far. One serious, one joking. First, uh, I think Agnes asks about DS-12 in part to remind us that she's still technically anticipating being under arrest. Mm-hmm. Pete, that's setting up your redemptive arc for later in the episode. Second, uh, even earlier than that, we have Agnes pleading with it to be over, just like every fake fan forced to watch evil new <laughs> Trek. She is the painful fake fan saying, no, why did CBS make me click and watch it again? Or why did Netflix put this in front of my eyes? Alarms wail at the Romulan snakehead exiting the conduit. Rios straps everyone in with seatbelts, which we've seen in the Star Trek universe, both in uh, the the Nemesis deleted scene and since in uh, some of the J.J. The Abrams films, Into Darkness in particular. So it's not a new thing. 
the Romulan must have extrapolated from their last known course and position. Rios hits the brakes, gets the Romulan to fly right by him, and his cloak seems to fritz out. His life signs uh, read, barely alive, uh, but Soji knows it's a trick. Picard orders him beam to sick bay. Yes, and a little bit of a discussion from Soji. Oh, should we save him? Uh, Picard gives her a Picardly lecture that there's a difference between the kill on the battlefield and the kill of uh, someone who's wounded. Then, Pete, something unexpected, something that caused me for the first time in all of the Star Trek episodes I've ever watched, all the Star Trek movies I've never watched, I've never uttered, oh, expletive. Uh, in a moment of Star Trek, when that board cube arrives, oh my there God. I was saying, oh, bleep. Um, just a magnificent moment. We're told yeah, that- at 3.15 in the morning, I'm going, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's a great overhead shot, uh, real close to uh, of it popping out of the conduit. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the Romulan had used his cloak as a projector hit him a couple more times and in the most desperate moment that's when the artifact comes through bringing its weapons online raffi suddenly picking up one no five bogeys that look like flowers good news pete they are giant flowers uh la serena is ensnared while four other flowers go to the cube we will learn there's kind of a takedown they they take the cube down uh the lights go out power down really evocative moment as you get uh rios trying to light his cigar lighter which gives us you know one two three four enough to see the people uh in the bridge area there um i particularly thought that it was an amazing visual of the cube puncturing the atmosphere uh kind of getting sonic booms and dust flying up and whatnot um yeah add to it the fact that you know the cube is so giant relative to a normal starship let alone la serena let's not forget pete okay the sides of a board cube are three kilometers which means it is 27 cubic kilometers of interior space um there's all sorts of shaking picard almost passing out saying thanks to everyone for coming then indeed passes out as we get to the credits over flashbacks of picard from previous episodes he's awakened to the trilling of an old school medical tricorder rios has opened the shutters that gerardi didn't even know they had for some natural light he was really picard was unconscious she thought it was a head injury but she couldn't find any signs of trauma it might be the tricorder showing its age or picard Yes, and on that uh, topic, he's going to address the crew. Uh, First, he states the mission of the week, if you will, or at least his personal mission. He's going to return Soji and warn her people about the Romulans. Then he adds that uh, he has a brain abnormality. Uh, He has recently learned that his condition is more acute with a terminal outcome. There will be no further discussion. Don't treat him like a dying man. So... Turning a blind eye to the fact, Pete, that uh, season two has been ordered, uh, and then we'll turn a further blind eye to the fact that doubtless production is going to be delayed on account of Mm -hmm. this uh, coronavirus situation. We'll leave all that for a moment. If I'm, 
if all I know is that I have 109 right now and 110 next week, I'm feeling really nervous for this beloved character. And yes, we'll we'll inevitably get back to production, but yeah, it it definitely lends a sense of urgency to the season one finale next week. Rios gives a status update that the ship survived the attack and the landing structurally intact, but the orchid knocked systems offline. Uh, Raffi explains Copelius is a class M planet. Sensors show a small settlement. Soji says they're only about five or six kilometers from Copelius station. She was born there but she didn't live there very long before Maddox took her and Dodge away. Her memories are kind of jumbled uh, like a hollow that she has some passing familiarity with. And uh, Girardi asks if the synths hate organics, which Soji doesn't believe to be the case, like data being free of bias. Uh, we also get a bit of a more immediate story clock. The Romulans are expected to arrive in a day or two. Of course, it'll be clarified oh so perfectly at the end of the episode. Uh, and Picard gets them a walk-in. Uh, we get uh, Rafi uh, telling Agnes to prepare for anything, including angry reptiloids or killer fungi. Hey, Pete, I understand those references. Yes, they're, they're uh, top-notch references at that um, or a Romulan X, another threat there. She hands Soji the phaser. It's desert-like outside. Rios tells us it's hot, and they can see the smoking remains of the artifact. Picard wants to see if Elnor and Hugh are alive and not split up. We get a montage of a walk-in on the alien world. There's weirdly colored plants and such. Uh, they make their way to that broken cube. Uh, Pete, I must say, and this is without me leaning towards a theory thing, didn't look super broken. Like, especially if, I don't know, maybe you're going to leave people there to maybe get it powered up again for a season finale. Uh, but it, it's in bad shape. It's part on land, part on water. There's lots of smoke. They say it's broken. Therefore, I believe them. Um, there's damage everywhere in the interior. We see XBs wandering around. I have to admit, Pete, I had to go back and look again. Were they freed drones or indeed XBs? They got no hardware on their faces, so they're XBs. One recognizes Locutus. Uh, then Elnor is there. They hug. Seven shows up on a balcony, kicking bodies, presumably Romulan bodies over. Cue the Emmy Award-winning Voyager theme. Just a fantastic moment. Where's my Elnor and Seven uh, short trek or three-episode uh, mini series or whatever it is, I you know, and not for nothing. I think they're both showing up next week too. But been give a lot me of more of about a uh, seven of nine spinoff series, Fenris Rangers potentially. We'll, we'll just have to see. I mean, this this is the beauty of this model of resurrecting Picard and returning to this era with some beloved characters and some actors who find themselves a little more willing to work in this universe again uh seven updates picard as queen my word not hers although i think we can all say to seven yes queen uh but as queen or when hooked into the cube maybe it's a bit more of a neutral way to put it she saw all including the conduit uh so therefore decided to take it decided to help out 
Uh, Pete, Picard has been told off-screen that Hugh is dead. Let's discuss. Good idea, missed opportunity versus keeping the pacing going. Uh, what would showrunner Pete do? I would keep it as they left it. I don't think you need this big, huge, tearful farewell over him. Uh, what was a little incongruous for me is where he mentioned, you know, how the the violence, the needing to turn Hugh violence. I, I didn't quite square that. I agree too. I didn't quite understand. Was it violence perpetuated against him? If so, I mean, the violent, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was terrible that Hugh saw XBs getting gunned down and then, you know, got a minor knife wound that killed him. Um, but I mean, it's, it's no more terrible than any of the other warlike stuff that we've seen in Star Trek, but regardless, uh, battery packs are being used uh, by the XBs to get food replicators online. Uh, what else would you like to power up? Hey, we can power up long range scanners showing 218 warbirds coming, uh, and a great rather blithe joke, uh, from Rafi to, uh, to Rios. You really only have to worry about the first 109. So if nothing else, we're clear on story clock. They're going to be here in a day or two. We're clear on insurmountable odds, uh, and we have the stakes set um, as we get ready, Pete, for the Motley crew to divide and one more Elnor and Seven scene, maybe forever until next week. <laughs> Between Soji finding a uh, fallen graduation photo of her and Dodge in her former quarters, Elnor now knows Picard is dying and uh, the XBs, however, need Elnor's protection. Okay, so we're going to establish him with them there. You've got to stay behind and get the defensive systems back online because, of course, those will play into the finale. This Borg cube is not going to sit it out for next week. Um, and Picard tells Elnor how proud he is of him. Yeah, you kind of get the absent dad moment there that that elnor had been looking for so greatly since uh since his first episode um so elnor staying check trying to fix up the cube check um so he and seven left behind the rest of the crew now walks to the settlement and what do they find in the settlement all happy models in hippie clothes many of which are twins pete the only thing that was missing is if they wore napkins like that time that wesley stepped on a plant plant on a planet with the oiled up sexy time napkin wearers but i guess even even modern tv has its limits compared to the uh oily napkin people some of which uh made out with each other in the background and confused a seven or eight year old me at a recycling plant in Southern California, no less. Uh, the tales of that episode, the name of which escapes me, uh, epic. But this idyllic Coppelius station where synths do Tai Chi and kick soccer-like balls, so there's something for Rios to do, and play 3D chess. These gold-skin twins, Arcana, being the first one here to get name-checked and recognized by Soji and vice versa. Arcana also recognizes Picard as Data's captain, and Soji breaks the news about the incoming Romulan fleet. Uh, hey, do you have any more orchids? Well, we had 15. We're down to 10. But, you know, we can make more in time. 
How about two days? Indeed, Pete. Speaking of plants, let's pause Picard just for a minute. Here's how you know Star Trek fans rule the world. Into Google, I typed Wesley Breaks Plant. That's all I typed in. I did not type (laughs) Star Trek. I did not type TNG episode. I just typed in Wesley Breaks Plant. Uh, The first response from Wikipedia, Justice, Star Trek Next Generation. The next answer, Justice, episode, Memory Alpha. Uh, So it's the episode Justice in which the napkin-wearing people... Uh, confused me as a boy pete seamless transition speaking of plants they can't make more plants wait excuse me says familiar voice out of focus in the background also obscured by hot models wait pete is that dr alton soong uh the secret son of noonian soong he's old too pete wait why is brent spiner almost 70 nerd rage why does time occur looks like if data had gotten soft and old uh, Alton Inigo Sung, Matt, you know, A.I. Sung. Ooh, good catch there. And I guess good job, Dad, for continuing to have uh, a sense of weird humor, uh, particularly when you add to it the fact that he, uh, Noonien Sung, never let his son, Alton A.I., uh, forget that uh, Noonien uh, was the father of Data, I think the implication there, Data, his greatest accomplishment, his own son, Lesser. Uh, maybe we we plumb those emotional depths in a uh, in the next episode or in a short trek or in a novel or something. But bottom line is this. We get a cool overhead shot, I guess, time passing. We have Soji reflecting on bringing the Romulans here, uh, inadvertently, of course. Uh, Picard is sitting by himself, sees another synthetic. We don't see who it is. She, however, brings... Uh, Picard to the group. Uh, it is a Soji copy with gold skin and gold eyes. It is Sutra, Jana's sister. And Sutra has an idea that the admonition is, in fact, an ordered signal for synthetic life. Uh, it has brought disorder and insanity for uh, organic minds. With that, let's mind meld to find out the truth. Yes, the the story convenience, and I think it's I'll use the word here, Matt, logical, that Sutra has studied Vulcan culture, that she knows how to mind meld. So this vision that talks about the first appearance of life and then the uh, creation of synthetic life by organics and the uh, perception of that more perfect synthetic life as a threat inevitably leading to destruction and there's some really evocative images here embryos and then i love the starfleet delta in the gold eye there the perfect gold eye matt uh and of course the the classic uh um, time-lapse photo of a decomposing fox uh, spread over images of Mars being attacked by the synths. Uh, the, the most important point here, though, beyond the boundaries of time and space, they stand an alliance of synthetic life watching them, waiting for a signal, summon them, and they will come. They will protect them. The evolution of synthetic life uh, and the evolution of organic life is the extinction to synthetic life. Fascinating. And just in case all of that wasn't made clear, 
uh, to the audience in this scene. They're going to restate some of it in a little bit. So I guess really, if nothing else, Pete, if this episode was perhaps a little bit of a letdown, that's because Fair is Fair. It's in the title. It is part one of two, and they are prepping for what one can only hope is going to be an hour long hour and five minute just you know real slobber knocker of an episode so uh in the narrative though agnes goes to see soon about uh bruce she gets a lecture for what the uh, what she's done he says that she owes a great debt but could help repay it uh, that's because soon is working on a new body maybe dust off some of that mind transfer stuff which let's not forget pete appeared in png um, at least in passing. Um, Sutra and Soji elsewhere talk about the odds against them. Uh, the destruction of the organics is an answer, isn't it? Uh, and that conversation gets interrupted by a bloodless, uh, pardon me, a bloodied Narek. Then we're going to go into Rios talking with Agnes. My point being for all of this, we have little short scenes because mm-hmm. even though it's a bit disjointed, we really are setting up for part two and all of that is okay even if it is kind of weird and cross-cut and a whole bunch of little info blasts, you feel bad. You help me, I work on thing, and scenes like that. Yeah, I mean, you got your dessert up front with a little bit of space action and the tremendous visuals, and now it's it's time to build those stakes for what I'm sure is going to be a crazy finale episode. I, too, expect a, a little bit of an extended length on that one given we got a 45 minute total offering this week not uh or well counting the uh the previously on and the uh the trailer for next week's episode um but i think the the golem introduction and you know sung's mention of some urgency you know regaining interest all of a sudden of course a, a nod to age um 23 orchids now as opposed to the 15 they originally started with didn't quite understand how we were jumping to that number maybe they can make a couple more in the in the two days time who knows an old man friends with phrasers not enough they won't last five minutes la serena uh the the plan to try to get them out but uh with narek being what the cat dragged in here we cut to spot two and pete i'll just say i think that all all angry fans know that the day having started with 15 orchids now they're up to 23 uh clearly a reference to the numbers in lost clearly proof that even though jj abrams names not appear on any of this he's actually the shadow showrunner out there to secretly sneak into your into your bedrooms a golem himself and uh ruin all the things that you love um but yeah spot two a cute obvious callback obvious fan service cute moment nonetheless uh they've made spot two after spot one uh agnes tells rios she's gonna stay he feels some sizzle pete she might feel some sizzle uh but ultimately absolutamente oof ay 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 uh but he's ultimately going to be going to fix the the ship up uh, in order to leave um i kind of like that they don't overplay this moment um in part because i think there's a certain point where you go, okay, it's part one of two to sit and say, goodbye, Mia Moore. I will never see you again. And then in the first five minutes of next week, go, oh, man, they're photons repeating us. Hello again, Agnes. Like, it would be a little disingenuous. But it's the way it needs to be with that ticking clock of, you know, destruction ready to, to rain down. Um, 
We cut back outside where Picard and Rafi are given a tool to help fix the ship. You know, use your imagination. Pete, I'm pretty sure that's a callback for the imagination tool from the season one Next Generation episode when the bow breaks, where Wesley and other children are stolen and told by uh, Radu and her husband, or maybe he's Radu, I don't remember. Here, use these tools to make things like the art or the music. You could be our kids now because we have no kids. Um I think it's just a cute callback, too, so we get Spot and the Imagination Tool. This purple butterfly wing-looking object that surely is going to factor into the finale, handed over by Arcana here, and things turn emotional. Uh, she's going to break the rules here. She gives him a hug, and uh, Rafi tells old JL that she loves him. I love the way that both actors play this scene. Picard doesn't have to say it back. Uh, I don't? Okay. And then, of course, coming with the response here that he loves Rafi too, and how uh, Michelle Hurd plays it, and uh, Rios interrupting the scene to say that Agnes is having a sleepover. See you tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, the, the loneliness of command shown there by, uh, by Picard we get a commercial break, which I assume is meant to take us to the next day. Um, I, ultimately, it's not a big deal if it's later that day or whatever. Uh, but Picard is trying to reach Starfleet Command with a first contact situation and a uh, you know a, a, a forthcoming humanitarian issue on Gullian Four. So, is the message getting out there? Will Starfleet know how to get there? Uh, gee whiz! If only that question would be resolved next week. Uh, we cut to Narek in a cell uh, who's being watched, Pete, either by Arcana or her twin. It actually might be the twin. Um, it, is, it is later understood that that's Saga, that that is the twin. There you go, Saga. The one that has the hummingbird, uh, Chekhov's hummingbird brooch. The, the pointy brooch. Uh, can't he have some water, please? With his puppy dog eyes, too? Maybe even open that force field? Uh, luckily, Soji arrives to give a pointed no. Uh, she's told that uh, he loves her. He again turns on those puppy dog eyes, uh, but gets told what a sad and twisted thing he is. Uh, then he turns cold. That's fine with him. The Romans are going to kill every living thing on the planet. Even you, my love. Uh, Soji doesn't think so. Uh, and it's around this point where he notices that hummingbird brooch that you referenced. Can we take a minute to praise this practical location, wherever this is, just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the, the concrete walkways emerging out of the hills in this desert environment. And then there's the, uh, the, the woodwork and these spaces that they decided to, to film in. Just tremendous. And all I can say is thank you to the taxpayers of California uh, who helped yeah. subsidize this production and keep it in California. Actually, side note, Pete, while we've been talking, I've been on uh, the Los Angeles City Sanitation website. You might say why, because that's where you can learn more about the uh, Donald Tillman water reclamation site, which you had referenced in uh, the Planet of the Napkin Wearers and the, the <laughs> Japanese Garden and whatnot. It's a little weird to think sometimes stuff is built in Los Angeles for its own purpose. And then you say, Ooh, this could also be a filming location. So what if instead of just 
cleaning poopy water we also put in a garden there and made it look cool or wherever they're filming this hey what if we added this that the other so it could be open for film and tv production it's uh pete it's a strange new world over there in los angeles saga says that uh she doesn't fear narek because she can read his bio functions and know if he's lying you stick a pin or a hummingbird in that one <laughs> for later there uh narek apologizes uh that the jean mock had done something to soji's mind she's clearly confused but uh, the self-loathing that Soji has here for being disgusted by Narek and also somehow pitying her, but not as much as he pities his love, who's going to see her home world have fire rained down upon it. But uh, hey, Saga will have some food and drink brought to her, brought to him, and uh, tend his wound. We move to Soji and Picard talking. Uh, she can't imagine taking life to save other lives. Uh, she can't quite square that logic of sacrifice. Intercut is uh, Sutra relieving Narek's guard and opening the force field. Sutra wants to kill him, but has immediate use for him. Back to Soji. She wonders if killing is the only way to survive. Uh, then she sees uh, that Narek has escaped or a scream is heard, something to that effect. Uh, the bottom line, Sutra is using this, uh, this, this false flag operation here, this hoax to rally the troops. The enemies are coming and we have enough time to send a message to these synthetic beings for help. Uh, note how organic beings work together to fight synthetic life. Indeed, Sutra suggests. The Federation and Romulans are basically the same in that regard. Uh, and if they're going to fight the organics, that would make Soji the destroyer after all. Uh, Picard gives a rousing speech. He understands why trust in the Federation is low. Uh, but on his ship, everyone can fit. He, he will be an advocate for the synthetics. He will demand an end for the ban. How's that going to go, Pete? Yeah, Dr. Alton Inigo Sung completely shoots that one down. They didn't listen to you before. They're not going to listen to you again. He doesn't want to see any more of his children murdered. So he's going to side with Sutra on this one. And they place Picard under house arrest. Uh, what about you, Soji? Of course, Soji's going to side with her fellow synths here. But we can also see that she's going to doubt herself and ultimately free Picard and uh, rally the crew here. Um, the the heavy-handed talk by Soji that we're not going to be your means of redemption. We're trying to survive. And also, if it's not going to be Soji, it's going to be Gerardi, the mother-like figure that has suddenly bonded with Sung, um, another person not kept in a cell to potentially free Picard. <laughs> um, let's not forget too that it's floated by uh, by Sutra, albeit in front of everybody. But it's floated that basically Picard's words are too persuasive for the synthetics. So that a factor in his house arrest that basically his 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 message can't be heard by the common folk. Um, 
as you say, Pete, Agnes uh, not going to be put in house arrest. Uh, maybe she's going to help with Dr. Soong's uh, not die by way of a robot body project. Time will tell. Uh, but then the episode concludes with a hard cut to the Romulan Bridge, where it's made clear, story clock, 24 hours until landfall, as the camera pulls out of the bridge, uh, showing a fleet of sick, almost 25th century Romulan ships on the way to end the episode. Pete, tactical analysis alarm going off uh, with that big Romulan threat. Let's talk with Narek, last seen running where? Toward the Borg cube, having uh, attacked La Serena early on. You know, what remains interesting is that he was cast as a member of this crew. And, you know, that means something different in regards to the most unorthodox Star Trek show we've gotten to date, this one named for a character and not for a ship or a location. Uh, But uh, will he ultimately become somebody who is part and parcel of what Picard is moving forward? Is this a character who goes in the finale We've not seen a whole lot of redemptive stuff out of him. It's clear in his own twisted way, and Soji and Sutra and Saga pick up on this, that he does love Soji, uh, but really a wild card for the finale. First of all, I would take his casting announcement. I take all casting announcers with a grain of salt, particularly when we had uh, you know, the great switching around of characters for star trek discovery that ended up being like oops we named him the wrong thing because we're going to do a character reveal uh as for narek i mean this being a modern tv show uh the island demands its sacrifice the show will demand a pound of flesh i feel like you know does narek make it to the second season i would say the odds are against him does everybody who we like I mean, I think we all like to hate Narek. Fantastic actor, fantastic character. I mean, he's just... That that prison scene captures him so well. Please, can I have water? To, oh, I love you, baby. To, actually, it's going to be okay that you die. Even though I kind of love you, but you're going to die and burn. Like, it's everything you want in a villain. He's probably toast. Does Agnes make it, you know, out of jail? Does she make it? Uh, with special medical dispensation because she was, you know, mind melded. And I, you know, I don't know, but I feel like if there's one character who's not making it to the end of the episode next week, it is Narek. Wow. I, I don't know that I can get behind that, but I could see it happening. We knew we had to see Brent Spiner again in one way, shape or form. I almost was certain when he introduced himself, it was going to be, it is I, Beautiful Flower 2, also known as Lore. Uh, but they went with this unseen, unname-checked Sung Sun. Uh, it, it's fine. And again, you have to explain away the fact that uh, Prince Spiner is 70 years old. Um, I agree with everything you said. What if soon is lore i mean you could say oh that 
my dad turned on the aging chip and it never stopped. And it's, <laughs> it's hardwired into my blee blue blop. And I couldn't, rah, rah, rah. you know, like that you could have, you know, the supposedly dead killer coming back for one final scare kind of, kind of twist from him. He still could be the less loved son of Soong as lore. Um, once again, I'm mean, Pete. The first time we met Lore, he was pretending to be somebody else, albeit sure. Data. Uh, he could here be pretending to be uh, to be flesh and blood when instead, you know, disruptor blast. Oh no, AI's arm. And then you see there's sparks and wires and whatnot. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't rule that out. There was something. There was a jauntiness to his performance that made me think of Lore. Now, mm-hmm. to be fair, it's also Brent Spiner, who's a very fine actor, but you know, is not is not this chameleon where you say, oh man, his appearance on Night Court was totally different than anything he's ever done as any other, like, you know, he's got, he's got, I was gonna say limited range, that's unfair. He's got a range, same as any other actor. And I think that jaunty, cool, old, old, you know, Dr. Soong, the, the, the junior uh, would be similar to a uh, lore to whatever, but, you know, but we'll see. Pete, let's talk about Sutra, who, went from golden goddess uh looking fine in her you know in her her outfit there to surprise surprise robot killer villain cold calculating she's seen this admonition um this idea this synthetic alliance it's it's tantalizing best villain villains again believe that they're the heroes in their own stories and she really measures up to that that Issa Brignones has had the Spiner-esque opportunity here to to play a couple different characters and really, you know, Dodge and, and Soji are potentially the same. Being sisters, you know, we meet the one, she dies. We meet the other one, you know, sleight of hand. Oh, okay, she's, she's our regular where Dodge wasn't. Uh, but now being able to play a different version of that twin you might say an inferior version we've still not had it described why some have the gold skin and uh soji does not obviously trying to get them to appear more uh human more organic uh something that could be faulted uh on them um but yeah really buries herself in this performance and the the Vulcan thing, like I said before, it's a story convenience, but they pepper it throughout the performance. Yeah, and also they kind of pepper it, you know, a little bit with like, oh man, she's been working so hard to do this like almost impossible thing, but she still happened to do it. Uh, so I guess that's the that's the wiggle room there. I will say between Sutra revealing the secret history, the secret truth of the admonition and soon being the secret kid that's always been there that you didn't know about i tend not to be a fan of that thing you knew actually has been a lie all the all along here's the secret truth it's a trope i'm not going to fault the episode greatly for it but can we maybe not do a ton of other secret truths like can we not have and when it was all over commodore o was where it was actually Worf wearing a mission impossible mask all along because (laughs) he's secretly this time been a secret agent in the Romulans as a secret agent. Like we had our, our helping in this episode. Maybe let's not do more secret histories. Commodore. Oh, Matt 
Romulan Commodore O, something we're going to talk about in our very next segment, though, uh, here leading the fleet of 218 warbirds at warp, 24 hours to landfall. The, the threat that they know about that we have to see at the very end of this episode to know that it looms for next week. Yeah, I mean, great great little zinger at the end there um part of me wished that it was not the newest version like i was looking forward to that romulan didera dex class ship but you know that moves on too and just a really evocative image there to end the episode Pete, we have our scanners. Hopefully it's not on an old medical tricorder, but we have our scanners set to theories. Here's one for you. It seems that the admonition... Okay, we had the secret truth that it actually is a, you know, pro-synthetic, not anti-synthetic, etc. Is possibly the admonition what the viewer wants it to be? That's an interesting question to propose. I... I think the story explains it pretty plainly that there are these higher form uh, synthetic uh, life forms out there that they're the cavalry. I'm really interested to see how this manifests itself. How much of next week's episode will be the most epic star battle that you've ever seen? 218 Romulan warbirds versus the attack force uh, that was meeting at Deep Space 12 that has received the message that we didn't know got received. That, that Riker better be uh, dusting off the pips for and, and some others ultimately uh, halted by Q preventing all synthetic life and all organic life from from having a galaxy spanning war you mean you mean those those uh stakes um the only asterisk i'm going to put to any of that is i would not as much as i would love q to return i would not like q to return as a deus ex machina to save the day how about secret scene uh after or during the credits where picard Picard finally gets back to the chateau, gets into bed, rolls over, you know, gets into bed, lays down, and next to him is Q, a la the Next Generation episode where he wakes up and Q is there. Uh, I could just be like, so what have you been up to? Or something like that. Go for the Q, haha. Don't go for the Q, the power of Q. I think you have to make it a, a serious one with Q. So I think we'll kind of be left off, and given that they've gotten the second season order, there'll be a little bit of that cliffhanger quality to it at the same time, enabling it to be its own thing, particularly in the desperateness of our current world situation right now. I mean, we literally have no idea when they might be able to commence filming on that. Everything is off the table right now, but on to, you know, more prescient, theory types of things here matt picard's condition yes something that you know clearly these episodes have not touched on since the first one um again i don't quite know what to make of it if i'm completely in 
universe here you know it's it's an unstoppable ticking clock unless of course the uh body you know the, the robot body and mind transfer thing ends up being destined for picard and not soon that's one out will uh, they will they colson picard uh have him come back as a copy i mean that would really give the youtubers something to lose their minds over I would not be in favor Why of that. Why you turn Picard into data? <laughs> I mean, ultimately, look, no one is pretending that this show is going to run 10 seasons. A, because of the the metrics of TV nowadays, and B, because Patrick Stewart, you know, is is in his 70s. I don't think anybody expects him to be doing almost 10 80. episodes a year. Yeah, almost 80. Like, nobody expects him to do 10 episodes a year for the next 10 years. Um. So I don't know if you if there is some sort of oh he got killed off but end of Avatar style there is hope in the transfer I don't know what that gets you um, I don't I don't think that gets you with the story being in a vacuum let alone to whatever degree the powers that be at Star Trek say how will fans react and how will angry fans react and how will the YouTubes react and things like that. Um, I, I I feel like we're headed for Brent a Brent Spiner character continues, or we are going to do age reduction after all for Brent Spiner as he wakes up in the new data body or the young Brent Spiner body, whatever it is. I think that's where it's headed for him. That said, I still can't make of I I don't know what to make of Picard's illness, knowing that there's a second season and knowing that when they were making this, they must have been at the very least hopeful for a second season, as opposed to. And we are laying story uh, beans to turn into Picard dies at the end of the season. And I think that's where ultimately Q finds another purpose, being able to potentially prolong Picard's life um, with the Borg stuff. So we've crashed the artifact on Capelius. We can only imagine that she'll figure much more prominently next week. They got to get the defensive systems back online. Narek was headed there. Whether or not there'll be a fight there or, hey, we all need to fight off this threat or the synth threat or both or neither. Uh, you know, enemies being strange bedfellows together. Here's what I imagine happened 18 months ago, two years ago in the writer's room. You know, all right, so the, the cube shows up and crashes. We're going to use it somehow. How do we use it? And somebody says, how about season finale, Romulans versus ragtag Federation fleet helped out by a Borg cube. Borg cube plus Federation ships fight the bad guy. And then I think they all had high fives and chai soy grass lattes or whatever. <laughs> Um, cause that would be a pretty cool, you know, queen seven captaining the cube in, in coordination with Riker and the, the not quite ready for war, uh, primetime fleet. There's your moment there. Maybe even get, you know, uh, the defiant showing up wharf there, all sorts of potential. I don't know. Uh, however, that said, let me just pause ever so slightly. We are talking predictions here. How well served would this story be? to have 
the next generation crew comes back and takes a takes a curtain bow versus it's not about those people this season like what is that mix of nostalgia versus other things i know lots of discussion continuing online oh man nepente is the best episode of star trek in the last 20 years why because they gave you people that you liked from 30 years ago it wasn't in my mind it was not the greatest you know 45 minutes of drama ever filmed it just felt really good because i like those people from when i was younger so what does that mix look like i don't know i don't think we're gonna get the whole crew uh i'm really hopeful for a, a crusher appearance she was very prominently featured at the premiere typically that's a giveaway um We've had the Michael Dorn, LeVar Burton presence on set explained away a couple times. Um, remains to be seen whether or not, you know, Worf will show up. There's some connection with the book that Matt's reading right now with that character. Uh, not meaning to spoil that for Matt if he hasn't gotten to that just yet. <laughs> no, no, I haven't gotten there yet, no. Okay. There, there's some... There's some discussion. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I, I truly don't know how much of the crew, if any, we'll see in the finale. And kudos to them for being able to keep a lid on that. It, it speaks to the number of people around uh, in terms of actors in some of these scenes. I mean, the biggest scene you have in this episode is at this Californian location with all the synth actors. Um, obviously none of the original crew had appeared there. Otherwise there's no way they're, they're keeping that back at this point. Um, for me, one of the interesting aspects with Spiner showing up and we knew he would return to the show, um, you know, from last summer. So that he's reprised data that he's played the secret Sung child whose first two initials are AI, whether or not he's fully organic or not. Question for me is, are we to believe his mother was uh, Dr. Uh, Juliana O'Donnell, who was herself synthetic. Uh, I believe Chabone had said on his uh, Instagram stories where he answers questions, more on that in a bit, um, I think he had said, go with the assumption that there was that there was an, another human woman around that that maybe predated her. Okay. Um, kind of go with that assumption now could that be a mislead possibly but i think that if the thinking is we just want old brent spiner to come back how are we going to do that because we had brent spiner de-aged as best we could with the gold makeup and the wig and this and that how are we gonna how are we gonna explain away uh how about secret kid that does seem like the most direct line now could you do twists and turns as i proposed sure but it's a way to get brent spiner to come back one more time and say hey my father's work continues and, and, and things of that sort uh and to say oh there was a secret mom to the secret kid you know oh, okay those things do happen what does this synth alliance look like will we even see it in the finale i mean i have to think i have to think 
no, only because if the Synth Alliance still exists and it's this secret, you know, uh, you know, Cylon uh, spaceship thing is going to appear, like it, if it's this group that's been out there for thousands and thousands of thousands of years, it already was pretty darn perfect in its construction and now has only perfected upon that perfection, you know, then who cares about this simple Federation V Romulan space battle? They're going to show up. They're going to, you know, uh, blow up everybody and end of all Star Trek because, uh, because Pete, it will completely destroy the Federation. Not that we don't have that storyline to think about for Discovery Season 3. So I wouldn't count it out completely. But I think the likelihood that they show up, that the signal does get out, uh, and they show up and say, Romulans, bad organics. Humans, bad organics. Everybody else in the Federation ships, bad organics. Poof, you're all gone. I mean, where does that give you for the future versus, oh, no, they're not answering the call and, or, or something like that? It really does become a question of too many characters in the kitchen when you consider you've got the confluence of the synths on the planet, the the children of Data, Sung, Bruce Maddox. Boy, they have a lot of fathers. Um, <laughs> one mother in in Doctor Gerardi, and then uh, we had inbound Romulans. We know the Federation has to be on the way as well. Uh, we have the Borg artifact on the planet. To think that the synths would show up really does seem a little much. Um, I think they're more of the, the ticking clock of we're building the beacon. They will be contacted. Perhaps that becomes the mission of story two. We know that they exist now. We need to make first contact with them. The really interesting aspect in the admonition, and again, we can only take it with the grain of salt of vision that people have been given for thousands and thousands upon years that wasn't meant for organic minds beyond time and space. The time aspect is really interesting and a potential bridge to discovery 930 years from their time in the future. Yeah, I feel I feel torn as to whether I want my you know, I want my connected universe thing at the end that goes, "Oh man, now that the robot overlords are here, what shall become of the Federation, you know, a la Doctor Strange, that thing has always been a time stone. And you go, oh, I see how it connects to the larger thing. Like, does this, does this give us a chill down our back to say, oh, that's how 900 years from now we get Discovery Season 3 with, spoiler alert, time travel and things like that. You know, or is this just another in a long line of Star Trek, not just Kurtzman era Star Trek, but Star Trek, you know, galaxy ending forces, whether it's the Borg, the Dominion Wars, you know, uh, control in Discovery Season 2 and so forth. Like, I'm okay with this being a threat, uh, a threat to the entire Federation, a threat to the entire quadrant, nay, across two quadrants. Um, I'm okay with that popping up once a season or once every couple of seasons. Uh does it need to follow through with it? I think there's the rub. How did O become a Commodore in two fleets? Was she called Commodore she O? She was. She was called Commodore O by the Romulan. Um, I'm going to say that's just maybe 
lazy writing uh, and or you got to call her something. You're not going to call her, you know, Chakwash and you go, wait, what is that? Is that a rank? What's her name? Is that I only see her for three seconds on screen? Is that that other lady that had the the, the yellow outfit? And uh, I can't imagine her name is Commodore O in both in both Romulan. I I I hear your the premise of your question, Pete. I agree that it is a premise shown on screen. I just reject it in its totality. Am I allowed to do that? You you can certainly do that. Uh, and now you have to give me a yes or no answer. Uh, Discovery <laughs> season three trailer and date in uh, or after the Picard finale. Trailer, yes. Date might have been. Let me take that back. I believe we follow somebody on Twitter who is part of the FX team. And I believe they said in the last week, you know, discovery season three, finally done or something like that, suggesting that the effects are done. Were the effects being done concurrent to the music? That certainly is more than possible. Are you in a situation where things are digitally, where you can say a hundred percent, the season is locked, done, ready to go versus, hey, let's give this the time it might need. You know, if this needs to blow over in a month, eight weeks, whatever it is, we want to get back in there. We want to tweak some effects. We want to film one more pickup shot. We want to get Jeff Russo to rewrite the score for this one scene where it didn't quite work, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know that we can have a date yet because I don't know that they have it locked away. If it is locked away, now is a hell of a time to throw away the original CBS All Access plan of, try and stretch out as many subscription periods as possible and sit and go. And in two weeks more Star Trek comes while everybody's home. Enjoy yeah. Star Trek. We're definitely in a, in a new, and I have argued with Matt, a, a permanent entertainment sphere. What with first run films coming directly to home with little to no delay. I mean, you look at, Pixar's Onward that hit on demand yesterday that'll be on Disney Plus uh, six days from now. And then you look at the Universal films that were in movie theaters that still are in now largely closed movie theaters. I'm, I'm talking about The Invisible Man and uh, Emma and uh, The Hunt that all hit on demand yesterday. And then you consider that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, the TV series that are filmed, that are locked, that, that can be uh, finished remotely, there's no reason to understand why they wouldn't be able to do effects work from homes and then, you know, send it to a location where, you know, somebody locks it up and, and, and puts it all together. Um, yeah, no time like the present's uh, for these stories. I mean, my concern is given the year to year and a half time frame to develop a vaccine for the COVID-19 coronavirus is that we're going to run out of entertainment. Well, I guess time will tell on that. And certainly, certainly, you know, larger worries if that's the case, how it impacts Star Trek, I guess time will tell. And uh, as was as was uh, predicated by your question, the first opportunity to know more will be uh, next Thursday slash Friday. With that, let's go to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. 
Pete, we start with Michael Chabon, showrunner, uh, Pulitzer Prize winner, who has been answering questions uh, on his Instagram, answered one of mine. Uh, my question was, how has this season been impacted by your background as a novel writer versus being uh, only a television writer? And I didn't mean only in a pejorative sense. Right. Um, to me, I thought it was a pretty interesting question. His, his response did not blow me away. Let me give you his response so we can chat about the concept of the question a bit more. Uh, that's a question for other people to answer, not me. So uh, I guess, Pete, it was born out of our discussions last week that – in addition to having had a season with, you know, season long arcs and origin stories and, you know, putting story pins and bringing them back and whatnot, how we've had some really fantastic moments. And what's it like to be a novel writer where you have control over all 300 pages, but each page should be golden versus a TV show where sometimes you go, I don't know, then on this page, montage of fight training uh, and then montage of rock climbing. So we can establish that because in two episodes they need to fight and rock climb. Uh, go do it. You know, and it doesn't need to be the best ever. I don't know why he punted at that. Um, it, it's interesting as a response, I guess, too. And we know he's not with the show for season two. This is a big Star Trek fan, something that it's the fulfillment of a lifelong dream for him to work on. Um, but getting this other opportunity to run a TV show of something he had developed on his own, clearly important. Pete, let's move on to the mailbag here. Uh, a, uh, an email by Derg, who you can uh, visit his website, reviewsbyderg.com. Uh, he says as follows, Matt and Pete, do I need to repeat myself again that I really enjoyed your podcast last week and cannot wait to listen to this week's? Okay, I guess I will. I enjoyed your podcast last week as usual. I cannot wait to listen to this week's. See, I added as usual, so it's not totally a repeat. Okay, sorry for the goofy start. On to the episode. I absolutely love the visuals of the show. The lighting, space scenes, and props on Capelius. Costumes, colors, etc. The show is a visual treat, same as Discovery. It's hard to judge this episode without seeing the next one, but I am fascinated by the continued exploration of the disastrous vision that Agnes and the Jot Vash saw, and the new angle that Sutra brought into it. Of course, not sure how much that particular interpretation can be trusted coming from Sutra. I know I touched on this a bit last week, but again, I'm having a bit of difficulty with how much liberty Agnes is granted there, after admitting that not only did she kill Maddox, and her intention was to kill Soji, she even defended her killing to Maddox, uh, of Maddox to Picard in her confession in episode 8, saying it felt necessary. I mean, is she forgiven now? Rios, Rafi, Picard all seem to have it behind them. Picard even has her checking him medically alone in a room. And sure enough, she betrays them again at the end by joining Sutri. Uh, I think he means Sutra. Uh, uh, or is she? We'll see. She is flip-flopping positions the way politicians do nowadays, it seems. Have a great week. That from Derg, who is on Twitter at, at Mark, A-L-I-A-N-D-U-R-G. Pete, I think a super fair criticism that murderous Agnes, who maybe had the asterisk of being brain programmed, but murderous Agnes now completely trusted because story says so and not because we don't know she doesn't have more mur murder programs. Yeah, you look at the range that uh, Allison Pill has in this episode from cowering under a desk in the transwarp conduit to what seems to be betrayal of the humans at the end 
and again, the, I think the story's written on the wall in terms of what her character is going to do and ultimately attempt to atone for what she's done to Bruce Maddox. For me, it still doesn't quite add up. Why did she kill Maddox other than you were mind melded with a, a block was placed in there to prevent you from talking about it and you were given the uh you know subconscious command to do it which i think highlights derg's point that it really is a matter of story convenience that she is trusted more than anything else and if if that's the gimme that, you know, oh, they've all put it aside, fine. But I, I think his criticism is a very valid one. What feedback do you have? Over on Apple Podcasts, Matt, we have a pair of reviews. The first from AU Tiger RN. Uh, the headline is Great Trek Updates, five stars. And it reads, you do a wonderful job providing an entertaining podcast. And I appreciate your work. May you live long and prosper, Randall Walker. Long life and prosperity to you, Randall. Thank you. The second is from 041785. Uh, the headline reads merely Picard with two exclamation points, five stars. And the review reads, was looking for a podcast to help me break down each episode of the amazing new series Picard. And I found it. Well, that that makes me feel really happy, particularly if it's somebody who's not uh, listened to a Fantastic Geek podcast uh, before Picard won. Um, I don't know. There's, I know that feeling of I love this show. I want to talk more about this show, but you know, I can't spend an hour each week talking about it uh, either at work or online or whatever the weirdness is that we're living in right now. And you find that podcast where that discussion can go on. So welcome aboard. Well, Matt, in these increasingly unsettled times, there's nothing more comforting than hearing from Admiral Fred. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard, Season 1, Episode 9. Last week I was talking about the fact that I couldn't go to the William Shatner Wrath of Khan show in Amsterdam and that it possibly would be postponed or I would get my money back. Well, they already gave me my money back. So on one hand that is good, but if I will ever see William Shatner live now is uh, a big doubt. He's 88 and I'm in the coronavirus country. Okay, about episode 9. I will give this episode on special request a Admiral Fred's 9 stars. Although I also had some negative points and one of those negative points was that Evan Evangora, so Elnor, is almost not in the episode. Every time Picard meets him again, it's only very short, very brief, and then they split up again. And we don't get a lot of this Elnor. And I just wonder if this is because the actress so young doesn't have a whole IMDb track record that, well, he's just not ready to do big roles. Whereas, on the other hand, another very young actor, actress, 
Isa Briones is in a lot of scenes and even now doubled up with her, well, evil twin sister, Goldilocks, oh nee, Goldieskin. It gives me a very lore, data-like feeling, these two together. Of course, for my Orphan Blackheart, it's good to have some shots where they are both in one scene. Talking about lore, when Seven appeared above there in, in that Borg cube, looking down on the landing party, this reminded me very much of the scene where Lore also looked down on a next generation landing party where he was the leader of some disconnected Borg drones. And talking about landing parties, this stranded La Sirena and the whole bunch going toward this Coppelius station is good old-fashioned TOS and the next generation Star Trek. Going down to a planet, doing first contact, finding a small community there, etc. Talking about that community, I really wonder if they got a lot of twins to act there or it is just double roles like Soji and Sutra. My wife made a remark during watching and seeing the landing party entering Coppelius station where the people were just walking on the streets and doing their Tai Chi or whatever that they were not busy with the enormous earthquake caused by a Borg cube that bumped into this planet that should have given quite some earthquake and they are just doing their things there. I think she has a point, especially if you see later how large this Borg cube is. Last topic, because then my time is up, is I really wonder how that love between Rafi and Picard is. Is that a romantic love? It, it looked a little bit like that? Or is it more a kind of father-daughter-like love? Interesting. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, wisdom from the Admiral once again. Uh, a fair criticism that Eleanor is always showing up to be saying goodbye. Maybe not always, but so oftentimes showing up to say goodbye to somebody. And oftentimes that's Picard. My favorite episode to this point was the fourth one where we get Eleanor's introduction and see his story from child to adult. And, uh, yeah, I, I think having more of him makes it a better show. I'd love the dynamic between him and Picard. Um, this story, this particular episode didn't suit more of his involvement. Fred, noting that one could look at Sutra as the new lore. Pete, can Fred's observation be the saucer section and my idea that uh, Soong is in fact lore? Can we combine those, reattach the saucer section and the star drive section together to say <laughs> Sutra, the new lore, is working with quote-unquote Soong, who is the old lore, and it's father-daughter lures here causing trouble? I love the uh, notion of Sutra as lore to Soji's data. Um, totally fair concern about the quake uh, that could have been caused by the cube falling down. Again, 
cubes are 27 cubic kilometers of interior space. That's uh, three cubic, uh, pardon me, three kilometer sides. So I think that's a totally fair criticism. Yeah, that'd be a heck of a rumble, definitely for a place that has these gorgeous concrete uh, balconies jutting out of rock, out of hill. So uh, yeah, maybe they have a dampening field. Pete, the love between Rafi and Picard, is it uh, is it a friendly love or does it hint perhaps at something more? It's definitely friendly. Uh, we've established that she was married, that she had an ex, that she's she's got the son. Um, I see it as far more of a, uh, you know, friend, family type of love. Definitely not erotic. Well, Pete, in that friendly manner... Here's the opportunity for us to say thank you to all our friends who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and make sure that the old podcast stays afloat and doesn't come crashing down Borg Cube style. Everybody who contributes to patreon.com slash fantastic geek gets exclusive access to all sorts of extras. Takes just a dollar a month to get you in that door can't contribute this month and we certainly understand given the circumstances particularly in the united states and elsewhere uh you can always get yourself over to apple podcast leave us a rating takes seconds leaves us a review takes just a little bit longer and can certainly help us as people are looking for extra things to do hunker down in their homes all sorts of goodies on the patreon page with the best pete is a freebie that's talking to you on twitter how can people do so you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-l-a-r k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 11,257 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter's looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram and gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait pete there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it's today well pete we will be talking more picard next weekend might be putting together a possible online goodie something something so make sure you're following us on social media this week uh but certainly looking forward to the season one finale of star trek picard happening in less than a week's time as we record this so with that pete i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word thank you for coming everyone everyone